0: If you wouldn't be open your Bible to the book of Obadiah. And in your pew Bible, Obadiah is found on 815. And we'll be studying from that minor prophet tonight as we continue to look at the minor prophets as toward the end of the year in our reading through the Bible this year. Uh, Those are the books that we're covering in the Old Testament right now. And so we'll continue to look at that. We want to give a big... Uh, thanksgiving offering of praise to uh, Brandon Ogden. He graduated from Paris Island as a Marine uh, this past week. And uh, let me tell you why I want to mention that. Uh, There could be a lot of reasons, but there's one definite reason that is very worthy. Other than the fact that uh, he finished with great honors uh, in many ways there, but also in addition to that, uh, on Sundays they had the opportunity to attend church. They would go into a big building and there would be various churches throughout that building. He found the Church of Christ and there was hardly no one there. And he would go back in the evenings and he would read his Bible and ask any of the guys in his platoon that wanted to read. They only had a few minutes before lights had to be out. Each night he would do that and more and more guys started reading with him. And then, before long, most of his platoon was going to attend worship on Sunday In the church of Christ. And by the end, three men were baptized into Christ. And that's what the Christian life is all about. It's taking Christ with us wherever we go. And uh, that encourages a whole church uh, full of people. And I know that uh, there's been a lot of people over the last few weeks that's had an introduction to Jesus Christ. He said that even one of his uh, buddies that attended was an atheist. And he would go with him each week for a while uh, toward the end. And, and what a blessing that is. Let's all think, who is it this week that we can influence? Who is it this week that we can speak of good news of Jesus Christ and offer a good word for Jesus uh, to someone else? And let's be praying about it. And let's determine that, that we want to make a difference in the lives of others. And it starts first by us living it. And by us being the godly and, and the faithful example. And then letting them know... Uh, ...that we care about them also. As we look at the books of the 12 Minor Prophets... ...as we mentioned last Sunday morning... ...the book Minor Prophets can kind of be misleading... ...because we think, well, was their ministry minor? No, there was nothing minor about their ministry... You see, the only reason we call them minor is because usually their books are very, very short as opposed to the other prophets that we sometimes call the major prophets. There are 12 of the minor prophets and in the old Hebrew Bible, those 12 were linked together into one book. Now, as we look at a breakdown, as we did last Sunday morning, just by way of review, you see that we have the prophets of Israel, and we see Jonah, Amos, and Hosea in that list. And then if you drop down to the bottom, you see that a- after the exile, when they were able to come back to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding again, we see Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. But in the middle here, we have a list of Obadiah, Joel, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, and those were the ones that prophesied to Judah. Of course, Judah was the southern tribe, once the divided kingdom, the two southern tribes, and it lasted many more years than the northern tribe. The northern tribe, as you remember, where finally God stopped protecting them, and as God stopped protecting them, the Assyrians rose and conquered them. Now, several years later, because Judah had moved completely away from God. These six prophets that you're looking at on the screen, they had made their plea for, for Judah to return back to God. And if they would return back to God, God would protect them. And Babylon, Babylonian uh, uh, would have never been able to accomplish what they did accomplish. But God didn't protect them because he was giving them over. And so we see as we read these six prophets, we see a plea being made. They either prophets that were of Judah or either to Judah themselves, saying, remember God or else. Now, as we look to the book of Obadiah, it's interesting that if you have your Bible open, you see without me telling you this, you may already know this off the top of your head. It's a short book, only 21 verses. As you look at that, that makes it the shortest book in the Old Testament. Now what's really neat about studying the book, and one reason why I chose for us to just go ahead and study this one book tonight, is because the way it is laid out is very similar to most of the other prophets, but yet we get it all in just one chapter. In other words, we see here that God tells him in this little short book, this is what I'll do, because this is what you did. But let me give you hope if you'll turn, there can be something better. And that's what the prophets, that was their message over and over and over. I want to tell you what I'm going to do because of what you did, but there is hope. And friends, it really hasn't changed for us today. And, and we'll conclude with that very same plea after we study uh, this beautiful book of Obadiah. As we look at this, it's interesting to note the fact that Obadiah was of Judah, but yet he was commissioned to go and to prophesy to Edom. Now, if you remember Jacob and Esau, the twins, that remember they struggled in the womb? Remember they struggled so much in the womb that their mother went and prayed and asked God what was happening? The descendants of Jacob and Esau, Esau's descendants being Edom, Jacob's descendants being Israel, and then when the divide took place, Judah would fall into that. Those descendants remained heavy, hateful enemies until one existed no more. And so to really appreciate this book, we have to understand that. So before we go very deeply into this uh, beautiful short book, I'd like for you to take the time to read with me in Numbers, the 20th chapter. Just hold your finger here, we will come back. In Numbers, the 20th chapter... I want you to see, now by the way, when we're reading this, this isn't the one occasion. This is just one of many occasions where we see really rough friction between the two descendants of of these twins. And, And this is kind of a lengthy reading here, but I'd like for us to read it just to get an idea, because if we can understand this kind of background, then as we go into Obadiah, it makes a lot more sense. And so this, kind of, this is the friction that we're dealing with. Remember the children of Israel traveling about. They, they want to make it eventually, of course, to Canaan's land, the promised land. And so they need a passageway here uh, as they're traveling along. We're in Numbers, the 20th chapter, in verse 14. Now Moses sent the messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brothers of Israel, you know all the hardships that has befallen us how our fathers went down to Egypt and we dwelt in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of the border. Please, let us pass through your country. We'll not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. That sounded nice and cordial, didn't it? Look at 18. Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, You shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men with a strong hand, Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. One more short reading, just a verse long. If you want to flip over a couple of books in your Bible to 2 Chronicles, let's look at one more example of this, and then we'll go back to the text for tonight. And 2 Chronicles the 28th chapter, as you're turning there, isn't it amazing how we see something as simple as them needing to pass through, but yet because of the friction that had been passed down through the descendants, absolutely they were not willing to help them in any way. And, and you'll see as we study through Obadiah, that's important to understand because then we see why God says what he says to them uh, through the voice of Obadiah. We are in Second Chronicles, the 28th chapter. Notice... Verse 16 and 17, "...at the same time King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. For again the Edomites had come, attacked Judah, and carried away captivities." So you see, sometimes what they did against them was a lot more severe than just saying, no, we don't want you to pass through our land. There's other times where literally when enemies surrounded them, they would go in and attack them themselves and even loot their things and sometimes even take captives back themselves. And so we have a real strong rivalry here that's taken place for years and years. And now let's go back to our text there on page 815 in your pew Bible. And as we do this, notice this next slide, and then what we'll do in our remaining time is we'll scan this chapter together. But what we want to do is look primarily for these three tenses. Notice these three tenses. The first part that we'll scan is where God is saying, I will. And then the next part that we'll scan, and it will be where we see God saying, you should not have. And then we'll conclude with a couple of verses toward the end where the Lord puts a promise out before them. He lays hope out before at least their descendants and saying to them, there shall be. Uh, Let's look at this first before we look at what's on the screen. I'd like to read verse 1 and then we'll go back to the I will there on the screen. But notice verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us arise against her for battle. I believe it's powerful to see the beginning of the parentheses, the phrase there, We have heard a report from the Lord. Obadiah goes and petitions these people, and he makes sure at the very beginning of what he says to them in this writing here, he makes sure that they understand, Look, This is not your enemy that's angry with you and is giving some kind of threatening remarks. This isn't some kind of personal vendetta that I have against you. He's saying, I want you to understand, what I'm about to speak to you is from God Himself. Anytime we open God's Word, we need to be reminded of the fact we're not looking at pages that we can bargain with, that we can look at them and say, oh, those are wonderful suggestions. Anytime we open the pages of the Holy Bible, we're dealing with the word of the Lord. And so what is it that the Lord had to say to them? He's going to use the vessel of the prophet. But what is the words that he was going to say to them? Notice the I will statements here. Uh, Beginning at verse 2, this is what the Lord says to them. Behold. I will make you small among the nations. In other words, he's going to say in verse 2, 3, and 4, I will bring you down to size. They had a problem with pride and with arrogance, and he's saying, I can cut you down. I can bring you down to the exact place that you need to be. Notice as they... He mentions there in verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? It is said that there was one particular city in Edom that was built up in the rocks and then up in the rocks had a fortress built around it that they said would rival any ancient fortress in existence at their day. And so you can imagine when they had something that all the world looked around and said, oh, nobody could ever get in there. That is an amazing setting and the way they've built it, it's so powerful. And you can imagine the pride and the arrogance they had. Hey, we're safe in here. No enemy can touch us in here. And God says, I want to tell you something. You may think that there's not an enemy on earth that can bring you down to size, but God says, I promise you, I can cut you down to size. Look at the very end of four. That's how he ends. Verse four says, Though you ascend as high as the eagle, see, he's still talking about that setting. And though you set your nest among the stars, still talking about that setting. Notice what he says, From there I will bring you down, says the Lord. I want to just read to you one quick verse. You will know it well, probably. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Pride is the beginning of a fall. God says that. It's not man's opinion. The next time you and I are tempted to think, man, I'm really getting it together. I'm really becoming the person. We just got to accept the fact if we don't change that, we have just laid a stumbling block in our own path. We have just said, literally, I want to fall. I I want to stumble. Because God will always punish the arrogant. He says, I'll bring you down to size. But as we read verse 5 and 6, we see that he says to them, I can leave you with nothing. Look in verse 5. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen until they had enough? And then he mentions the grape gatherers. If they came and stole, would they not leave some of the gleanings? Then he says, O Esau, shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. Do you see what he's telling them? He's saying, if you're dealing with man, man may come in and they will steal until they say, I can't carry any more. They may steal until they say, you know, I don't have anywhere else to put this. Let's just leave the rest. He says, even if people come in to gather grapes and steal from you in that way, they're only going to gather so much and you can come in behind them and you can gather a few more grapes. You see what God is saying? He's saying, listen, not only can I bring you down to size, but even when I get done with you, you won't have anything. I'm not going to take from you like a man takes from you. I'm going to take from you and it's going to be everything. Let's read on in verse 7 and notice how he teaches here that I will make your friends your foes. All the men of your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. You see, even people that live in their own homes, their servants probably, there's referring to. He says, there's coming a day when those that you feed with your bread, they're going to turn on you. People that you think are on your side, when the enemy surrounds, those people are going to turn on you. He says, Listen, I'm God. I can make your friends your foes. I will statements from God. Notice another one in verse 8. Verse 8, he's going to say, I'll outsmart your wisest of men. Verse 8, instead of I will, he's will I. Will I not in the day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Keep in mind, they took great pride also in their wisdom. One of the friends that came and sat with Job, he was an Edomite. And you see, those that came thought that they were some of the wisest in the land. And so the dukes of Edom would boast of the fact of the great wisdom that they had. And so God's saying, Hey, you bring up who you think is the wisest, that they can figure out every way to protect you or to negotiate with enemies... And God's saying, I promise you, my wisdom will be far greater than any of your wisest men's wisdom. And then finally, he just talks about their brute strength. Look in 9. Then your mighty men of Teman shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. He's already described this fortress that's lifted up. And now, who's going to protect that fortress? It's all these mighty men of Edom. And he says, my arm is stronger than their arm. God is telling very clearly all of the things that he says, I will do. But now, let's spend just a few minutes and look where he says... You should not have done this. In other words, why is God doing all these things? All the things he says I will do. Why? We're when, when not going to take the time to read 10 and 11, but that's where he goes back and he talks about the violence that had been done against his brother Jacob. And remember, it's not just one act. It's several things. And we've referred to several of those as we began this lesson tonight. Now look at verse 12. This is what he should not have done. He says, but you should not, this is verse 12, but you should not have gazed on the day your brother in the day of his captivity... You see, they stood by is what he's referring to here. When an enemy was attacking them, they could have gone in and they could have protected the brothers, their descendants, but they chose not to do that. I want to quickly read to you a passage out of James 4 and 17, another one that you probably know well. And I tell you, if there's a passage that makes me think probably about as uh, uh, serious, as sober as any passage in the Bible... It's James 4 and 17 where James says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Friends, sometimes we are so concerned about, is this wrong? Well, I, maybe I won't do that. Is this wrong? Maybe I won't do that. And God says, I don't want you living a life of just picking out the things that are wrong. Yes, He wants us to avoid wrong. But He says, I want you to have your eyes open. What does your brother need? And if we're not willing to help do good of what we know is a need, he says, it's sin. That's a staggering responsibility. And so here, we see him looking at, at Edom. And we've already read all of these things that he says, I'm going to do to you. I'm going to do these things to you. Why? Because you saw a need and you chose not to do anything about it except gaze upon it. Well, they saw it. They might have even laughed and mocked about it. But they didn't do any good to help them. As a matter of fact, it even... Uh, he's, again in 13, you shall not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Look at 14. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress so they even began to help deliver the captives into others' hands. Now, as we think about what he says I will do because of what you should not have done, Let's close this lesson by looking at this, where the Lord says, but listen, there shall be something good out in the future. Now what He's promising is not necessarily to that generation, because that generation has had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and God's going to stop protecting that generation. But whether it's Judah, who also is on a pretty poor path right now, or whether it's Edom, both of those descendants have something wonderful out in their future. If you have your Bible, look at Obadiah, and we're going to look at verse 17 and then skip to the end. 17, but he says, But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. Now I want you to skip down to 21 and notice especially the last phrase. When he says, Then saviors shall come, notice that's a lowercase s. It's talking about various deliverers shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau And notice this, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. What a beautiful thought that although we see these powers and we see them trying to gain power over another and we see them trying to conquer and and destroy another nation and, and God kind of draws back and He looks now from spiritual lenses and He says, listen, I want to tell you about a kingdom that's coming. I want to tell you about Mount Zion. And in this kingdom, nobody can conquer this kingdom. It shall stand forever. I'd like to read just two passages quickly as we close. I hope you'll turn with me in your Bible. Look at Luke, the fourth chapter, and verse 18. Luke, the fourth chapter, and verse 18. We're just going to look at these passages uh, just for summary's sake to try to kind of put a picture on what this would look like for the kingdom to be a spiritual kingdom. And what he's offering is that there can be deliverance of the people. And he's not saying, I'm going to give you back your nationality, your kingdom. He's saying, I'm going to give all descendants hope of another kingdom. And, and Luke, the fourth chapter, you remember what Jesus, he, he was fulfilling prophecy in verse 18. Luke 4 and 18. And as we read this, I want you to think. Was he placing an emphasis on physical things or spiritual things when Jesus said he'd come to fulfill these things? He, he took the book of Isaiah in 17 and began reading in verse 18, Luke 4 and 18. Then the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover a sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And we see the things like Him giving sight to the blind. Or we see Him taking and releasing those who are captive. Did Jesus come? Now, now please put this question in its full perspective, not just in in a, a single instance. Did Jesus come? Was His mission to come to this earth and everybody that was physically blind, they were going to see physically once Jesus had lived on this earth? When Jesus ascended back to heaven, was every captive free? Nobody's in jail. Nobody's being held as a slave. Why? Jesus Christ is on this earth. You remember, He came to set free the captives. We say, well, no. He didn't give sight to every blind person. He didn't set every person free that was captive. You realize that what the Lord is teaching here is an emphasis on the spiritual. He came to give everybody spiritual sight. He came to give everybody the opportunity to be released from spiritual bondage. Jesus came to be a part and to establish a spiritual kingdom. And now let's look at the establishment of that kingdom on earth in Acts the second chapter, and this is what we'll close with. Acts the second chapter... Hopefully, after studying a little bit in Obadiah, I'm hoping that maybe this passage will mean a little bit more to us. We've probably read it many times. This is the first sermon that was preached. At the end of this sermon, there's going to be a response of 3,000 souls that were baptized, and God's going to say He added them to the church. This is the day the church was established. The kingdom. The kingdom on earth was established on this day. Again, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. But, but notice as we begin reading 29, and as we read this, just think about what we study studied tonight and see if this has greater meaning to you tonight. Acts the second chapter 29. This is in the middle of the sermon. He has talked in verse 25, 26, 27, 28, words of David. And this is what he says now. Men and brethren, Peter's preaching. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore... Being a prophet and knowing that Christ had sworn with an oath to him that of the, fir, of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to set on his throne. Remember how Obadiah, the promise at the end is, I'm going to give you a kingdom. Zion's going to reign. There's going to be something. And so now Peter's preaching. And what he's saying is, you remember what various prophets have said? You remember what David has said? They said that it's coming. Look. Look, it's here. Now let's read on. 31, he foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. 32, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we were all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel... You see how it's tying back to the Old Testament? This has been prophesied over and over and over. And he says, Peter's saying, I have an announcement to all of you that have been reading the prophets. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And they were told to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Isn't it beautiful? The prophets, they so often reminded the people of what God's going to do because of what they did. But there's going to be hope. There's going to be deliverance. Tonight, do you believe what God's going to do? When He says, I'm going to come again and I'm going to judge you and I'm going to separate those on the right and the left, the right, the saved, the left, those that will be damned. When God says, that's what I'll do, do you believe Him? Why? What have we done, God? We've sinned, and sin has separated us from God. And all those that choose to stand before God on the day of judgment in that condition, with their sin separating them from God, they're going to be on the left side. Well, where's the hope in that? The hope is on the cross. The hope is when Jesus came to pay the price, to establish a kingdom, to say, we can reign, we can conquer, We can overcome by the grace of God and the mercy of God. Are you a part of that kingdom tonight? A kingdom that the prophets told about hundreds and hundreds of years ago.